Yeah. So I'm talking about the loud, obnoxious, slightly deranged poop on your toothpaste. Everyone do it with me. Ridge Racer! You are listening to JK Radio. With your presenters, Kyle. My body, my body is ready. And Jaminder. You know, I try to avoid doing this in my Sunday best. Welcome to the show and enjoy your stay. Agents are go! Hello and greetings out there to you and everyone listening. Welcome to JK Radio with your hosts as usual, Jaminder and Kyle. Hey man, how the heck are you? Hey, I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing fantastic now that I'm now that I'm here with my good buddy doing a podcast and anything. Oh joy! Yeah, no, this is this has been a long time coming because uh, the last one we did was like nine years ago, ten years ago. So it has been a long, long time, and I'm sure, and I'm sure that there are people who listened to that podcast with the active goose egg of listeners. Um, that are now joining us here. So, um, you know what? Uh, can you kindly explain to people who you know aren't familiar with us uh, who you are? Sure. Well, my name's Jaminder, but I go by Jamie. That's my nickname, and I'm just a fellow gamer like a lot of other people that are probably listening to this podcast. Um, I just play games, and I have a real life job, so I can play games. It's quite the good cycle, actually. Now, when you say that uh, that you have a real-life job where you get to play games, what does that mean exactly? That means that <clears throat> I work in the adult entertainment industry, known whoa, as a whoa, casino. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, okay, there we go. <laughs> yeah, see? It's games designed for adults. They have to be 19 or plus in British Columbia. And, uh, yeah, card games and slot machines. I'm technically in the gaming industry, just not the... Uh, the video game industry. Oh, that's fair enough. As a uh, quick preface uh, towards me, uh, my name is Kyle. I am a web developer by trade, and I have been playing video games since since I was five years old. So I think that makes me as qualified as any, don't you think? I think so. I've been playing games since I was four, which is probably when you were five. So we probably had probably started at the same time. Okay, you are way more skilled than I am, despite uh, me having that extra year up on you. Yeah, well, I probably, well, I mean, you went to school before I did, so, I mean, I have, like, probably all that gaming time playing old school Mario. Mario 1 was my first game. So, yeah, jumping and running, that's that's my thing, man. Side-scrollers. You really can't beat them. So, <laughs> um, what, uh... What is this? What are we doing here? This is a this is a podcast radio show type thing. What uh, what is it exactly that we're doing here? Well, what we're doing is just talking about games. You know, like if we see any articles on the internet that really pique our interest, and we feel like having a general discussion about it, or just you know news or game ideas that uh, the industry doesn't cover. And we thought, hey, well, why don't we kind of go over that ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I have always enjoyed talking video games. 
I have always enjoyed uh, starting up podcasts about talking about video games. Some a little more successful than others. But I love doing it so much that I wanted to do it again. And this time I've, I've, I've managed to uh, rope my buddy Jiminder into this experiment, I guess, <laughs> at this stage. At this stage, I consider it a bit of an experiment. It's the first episode, after all. Um, but to uh, to give a quick preface, yeah, of course, if you can't tell by now, this is a gaming-focused podcast-type show. Um, but where we, where we want to make it a little bit different is that we, we don't want to make it that... You, you probably see it a lot, where it's just like three or four, or maybe even six or seven just dudes... Um, hanging around a table and just casually having a conversation for like three hours. Um, I want to make that a bit different. I want to make this um, an entertaining show. I want to make it fun to listen to, and I and ultimately um, I, I'd like to make it not uh, not a strain on your on your listening time. So I hope that we're successful with that vision. I hope that we're successful in delivering you a fun show that you can kind of dive into, and that the uh, the cringe moments are at the minimum. <laughs> Well, I mean, we can always try, right? I mean, most of this is free flow, so just got to be natural at it, right? And so with the pleasantries and the introductions out of the way, um, shall we move on to our first segment, Jiminder? Sure. Sounds good to me. So what's coming up is a little segment we like to call What's Up, and it is a segment where we choose news topics to talk about, uh, but we don't know what we're going to talk about quite yet. What's up, guys? Welcome back to JK Radio. Uh, here is now a section called What's Up. It's a segment detailing choice news topics. Each host gets to choose one or more news events relating to the industry of video games that has happened and then opens it up to discussion once they've read the headline or a, a bo- piece of the body. So I'm going to open this up to uh, to my main man, Jaminder, here. Uh, he has something ready. Um, hit me. What do you got? All right. Cool. So... I was looking at a few topics and I was like, well, this is kind of interesting because I think it'll lead into a topic that we talk about later. But um, looking at Ubisoft, uh, one of their big releases coming out in the next uh, couple weeks, Watch Dogs 2, um, the company came out saying that the pre-orders for that game, because we all like to pre-order games, is a lot lower in their expectations than they wanted to be. Um, They thought that with Watchdogs being such a big IP that, you know, it would sell like hotcakes. But uh, they're looking at it as uh, people are just waiting for reviews to come out before they decide to go and buy the game because of the overall disappointment, I would like to say, with the previous one. So they're kind of... I think that's putting it pretty lightly there, dude. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, that's that's about it. And then uh, Ubisoft also mentioned slightly about their next Assassin's Creed game. Uh, it's going to apparently take place in Egypt, which I think is interesting. I love the series. Been following them since the second one, so I'm a little excited. But it's a it's a shame though that Watch Dogs 2 isn't uh, catching the interest of everybody as it could. But I mean, if you've been burned once, I mean, do you want to get burned again? So here's what I have to ask you: What would what would Ubisoft have to do to regain players' confidence in the Watch Dog? Uh, Franchise? Serious? Maybe live up maybe live up to the promises of the stuff they put in the game and claim that's gonna do. Like 
you know, they, we were promised in Watch Dogs 1 that we were able to go in like this open world and mess around with the streets and take over cars with our phone, right? Because we got this little gadget that can mess around with the environment and all we got were little things like mess up traffic lights and everybody's scripted just crashed into each other, you know? Like there was yeah. nothing interesting at all about that. And it just became a cookie cutter GTA game or any other open world game where it's like, here's an objective, get over there and you're not going to run over there. It's like going to hit a car and it just becomes like a chest high wall cover mechanic shooter. And, you know, hacking is just kind of there. But I remember I was playing it and I got bored of it and I stopped. Well, that's fair because that is ultimately the game. (laughs) (laughs) True. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that I've been finding interesting is I find this to be a pretty common path lately, especially with Ubisoft. Actually, pretty explicitly with Ubisoft in how they're handling their IPs, new and old. Um, they seem to be uh, falling themselves down into your, your your standard. They're creating their own cliches and following those to a T. They're they're bringing in their own uh, preconceived stereotypes and, and throwing those in until it becomes just a generic mishmash of of uh, potentially interesting ideas, but then never quite executed to a level where any of it is terribly interesting. Once you play the first mission of any Assassin's Creed game, you've played the game. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, feel, I feel as though with, uh, watchdogs, um, that, that was a very similar scenario. And, I think there's only one division in Ubisoft that is maintaining a level of um, creativity that extends beyond the first couple hours of the gameplay, and that is the team behind the Far Cry franchise um, in, in dealing with all of their wacky, zany ideas into creating an immersive first-person shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, now, do you think either of these teams actually talk to each other, give each other pep talks, like, hey guys, do you realize your game is boring after the first hour? And, you know, here, here's some things you can do to shake it up, or, or do you think they really are that segregated off and they don't talk to each other at all? I, I honestly think they're segregated. I really think they are, because if they were bouncing ideas back and forth, maybe we'd get that whole, uh, like, the Rare Company back in the day when they had their two teams, but they were, like, bouncing ideas back and forth off each other. So, like, the Perfect Dark game would compare to their Conker's Bad Fur Day game, you know? Like, I I don't think Ubisoft does that. that no, they're all it, and, and on their know, own somewhere else. I think more companies definitely need to start doing that. Like, that, that inter-office um, uh, competition, I guess, yes. is what it was referred to. I agree. And I think they would definitely work uh, well together in conjunction with the rivalry if they were to have such a rivalry. And then, you know, if they try to outdo each other with their own games, it'd be much more interesting and maybe the players would like to play both games. For sure. Uh, And now, so what would get you excited for a Watch Dogs sequel? What, What would get you stoked to play that game? I don't really know. I mean, to be honest, I just... I just like new IP and I just like exploring them so if this game is just like an open world where you run around mindlessly mission to mission I mean I'm just going to go in there with an open mind and say hey I wonder what the story's like in this game I wonder what little gimmicks they have in this game that others don't and just kind of explore the whole hacking idea now because I think they they went a little more with that hacking idea I don't know what you can do 
I'm keeping myself out of the loop so it's more of a surprise to me as I can just go in there completely blind and enjoy the experience that they promise. Now, do you think uh, do you think a game like Watch Dogs would benefit a lot from uh, uh, external peripherals for, uh, outside of just the controller, such as oh, um, God no. No, no. <laughs> you, you don't think so. You, you don't think that. Um, you don't think that. You know the way that Jackbox kind of works. You're kind of able to log in with your phone. That you'd be able to to do your stuff on the phone. I don't know. I mean, they haven't had like the best of luck using their apps for like. Just for example, Assassin's Creed. Like when you can use it as like a secondary map or something. Like your phone might not work for it. So I mean, I have an app out there that kind of hinders the audience because what nobody not everybody has the up-to-date cell phones to allow you to do all these fun things like you can but that the game says you can do so i think it'd be kind of limiting the audience and i would rather the game just play from my tv in the controller at hand without any extra peripherals this makes it to me more engaging and fun as opposed to breaking away and doing you know using two controllers you know so it, it would actually, to you, break uh, more break immersion. Exactly. If, if, they, if they tried to create a system that is supposed to be uh, more more um, engrossing, more more like you're doing it in the game, right? Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. So um, moving on, I have a. I have a. Unless there's any other further comments you got. No, not really. Okay. That's all I have for Ubisoft <laughs> and Watchdogs. So, the one I got. And I, I find this kind of funny. Uh, Battlefield 1 servers down again. Wait for it. Players demand refunds. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh my goodness. So it basically goes, Battlefield 1 servers are down again across the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC platforms, and gamers are demanding their money back via Twitter. Wow. Twitter of all places. So they got uh, they, they, this article happens to have a couple of example tweets up here. Just a just a smattering, just a tiny fraction of people <laughs> out there <laughs> of the, the potential tweets that I'm sure there are. Um, so uh, one guy goes um, at Battlefield. Who can I contact about getting a refund for my Battlefield game? Servers always down, and I can't play. Oh dear. And then another one goes hashtag BF1 servers are offline again at Battlefield. At what point should your customers demand a refund or insist on an SLA for future games? Oh my goodness. <laughs> but I mean, they're not wrong in the sense that the game can't be played online, you know? Like the whole game is meant for multiplayer and to not have. I guess, I don't know, would you say it's networking code? Like, they're not using it enough? Or maybe they didn't expect so much people to play it online at the same time? Like, what do you think the issue is with their servers? Well, Do you think they're I, overloading? I think I think what the core of this issue is happens to come around a, a small, maybe just a small sense of entitlement. Honestly, what we're talking about here is server problems, and those tend to go away. This is not a permanent permanent issue it just it just sucks that it always happens to be around the time of the game's release right every single battlefield has had this issue and every single battlefield eventually overcomes it that's right number um, four <laughs> battlefield four ended up still being a bit of a broken mess but that wasn't due to the network code that was due to the actual game itself so that one's understandable 
But from what I have been told and what I have seen so far in Battlefield 1 is that it's actually a really, really stable, polished game with just some network hiccups. Is, yeah. Now, you've had a little bit of experience with Battlefield 1. Is that true? Yes. I played about four or five games online, and I got kicked out of four of them, probably due to network issues. <laughs> and well, then, you're also the- a notorious hacker who can knock off headshots like No Tomorrow. Yes. Back in my prime... Yes. So, do you think this has? Um, do, do you think that this is uh, maybe a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of um, entitlement? Oh, hundred percent. Like, just because a product isn't up to their, you know, like what their expectations are, doesn't mean that they should outright get their money back, right? Like, give the guys some time to fix it. I mean, like you said, there's hiccups and like. Not just Battlefield, like, a lot of games online. There's always hiccups in the first week or two, and after that, it's all ironed out, and everybody's honky-dory again. Yeah, yeah, as you say, it's usually ironed out within the first week or so. Um, you know, it's it's a little bit of patience, that's all it needs. Uh, but, you know, I would probably even say that, like, most games in this day and age, not just, not just Battlefield, but most games... Uh, definitely have their network issues with the first couple of weeks. All the time now. Uh, hell, I, I, I bought um, uh, WWE 2K17, and that had network issues too. And trust me, there's not nearly as many people playing WWE 2K17 <laughs> online. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Basically, when it comes to Battlefield... It should come as expected at this point, and it's sad to say that actually, but it should be coming as expected that you should know that the that the network hiccups are going to be there as part and parcel of the product for the first couple of weeks. But then once you know, once people start, uh, once people stop hammering the servers so hard, uh, such as you know, g- give the next uh, Call of Duty a chance to come out. You know, it's always a couple of months in, in its heels. Um, when some people stop, you know, stop playing Battlefield religiously, uh, like all the time, uh, that will release strain on the servers, and that's usually when you can reliably connect to a game and play it all the way through without getting kicked out or have network hiccups. Um, you know, lag is always going to be a common issue when it comes to online gaming. Always, that's almost unavoidable. But when it comes to the uh, server problems, those go away sh- uh, pretty shortly after launch. But That's right. it's all about just that little bit of patience. Like, if I bought Battlefield 1 and I got disappointed that I couldn't play online, you know what I would do? Play offline? I would play the single player, get that out of the way, you know, get my awards and my upgrades or whatever it's going to be. And then if it's still not working, I just move on to another game. And then eventually I come back to Battlefield, I would come back to Battlefield 1 and give another shot. And hey, guess what? It's going to be working by that point. It's disappointing, yes, that a $70 to $80 game is going to give you that kind of guff, especially when multiplayer is the focus. But at the end of the day, it will work. Unfortunately, eventually, but it will work. This is not a broken game. It just needs some time to have some problems ironed out in a couple of patches. Yeah. But it's unfortunate, though, like you said, right? These people... I mean, what other games can these people play? I mean, they waited so long, saved up money for this game that should be complete, promising online play, and out of the box, after, like, their two-hour install, and then go online and they got these issues, and they got to wait another week or two, right? I mean, 
maybe be better if EA stress tests their stuff more and just made sure that it was stable out of the box? Do you think maybe a few weeks of tweaking would have, you know, done good for them? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, here's the thing, too. Um, I, okay, I, I, I know for a fact that they do stress tests. I know for a fact that they have ways of setting up phantom phantom users in order to pound their systems. That's right. I know for a fact they do this. And I know for a fact most companies do this. Nobody is just, uh, you know, it's like, hey, I just checked in the network code. It, it, I think it's going to be okay. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it, it never happens that way. Um, no. They definitely stress test. But I, I, I don't know quite what it is, but nothing seems to emulate real traffic from real sources, right? So in order to properly, properly, 100% get that exact rate of, of how badly the servers are going to be hit, they need to actually hire like 4 million active computers <laughs> across the globe to simultaneously connect to these servers and see what happens. And yeah. I just don't think anybody within a reasonable you know, budget has that kind of money, not even EA. No. Um, EA has a ton of money to throw around, sure, but I think what they want to do is instead they, they, they've done their best to stress test their servers, they think they have a good setup, and then they just go for it. Because once launch day happens, that is D-Day. That Now... Everything comes. Just you're you're gonna watch those numbers as 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 an analyst or as a designer, and you just be like, you're gonna see the spikes happen. You're gonna be like, oh shit, I can't take anymore. And then it boom, it just all goes down. And there's nothing you can do about it at that moment, right? That's right. So all you can do is log a bug and hope the next day that someone in networking knows what that issue might be or if it's just a uh, hardware issue to add more servers to the to the stack um, or it would probably play into a little bit of budget balancing right yeah. so they know that the first couple of weeks are going to be hectic in hell but they also know that they can add more hardware to it they can spend tens of thousands of dollars adding more and more hardware to this rack uh, in order to compensate for it. But then within a month's time, they won't need it anymore. And so now they've just wasted a bunch of money on a whole bunch of on a whole bunch of hardware when their existing setup can handle the traffic within just a month's time, you know? Yeah. That's true too. It is true. It sucks though. I mean, I do feel for the people that, you know, have to wait even longer to play the game that they want to play online, but I don't know if we can just tell them to get over it at the same time, you know? No, and and, 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 and telling someone to get over it is not a proper solution. But what (laughs) I probably can suggest is that going forward, maybe maybe banking on a single purchase right at launch is, is never a good idea. Like if you only have the your your sixty bucks, you're proud of this sixty bucks. You earned this sixty bucks, and you're like, man, I'm gonna buy me a game. Uh, oh, you know what? Battlefield's coming out in three weeks. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy that the moment it comes out. You are gonna be disappointed. I think what we want to say is when you got these big online games coming out, probably wager a guess to wait maybe a few weeks before you buy the game, so you're not disappointed. 
it, it's always good to wait anyways. I mean, you want to see what the public reception is going to be. If there's going to be any major, major breaking problems, it's probably good to just kind of give it a couple weeks, see what the see see if there's anything you know cataclysmic, and uh, base your decision on that. Don't base your decision around reviews. That's but, right. But definitely, like, look at the public opinion. Just like it's like, hey, by the way, did you know that this entire function, this entire section of the game, is missing? Yeah. And if you if you so if you buy that game digitally, you are SOL because getting a refund out of Sony or Microsoft for digital download is worse than pulling teeth. It it just chances are pretty good it's just not gonna happen. That's not right. not without a massive fight anyways. So you don't want to find yourself in that situation where you've accidentally bought an inferior product to what you expected it to be. So uh, the takeaway that uh, what I'm trying to get at is, you know, be patient. Don't get over it, but be patient. You know, give your give your give your newfound thing of affection uh, a chance to breathe out in the open air and base your opinion after a couple of weeks once all the novelty has died down. And by that time, you should have a pretty solid foundation of whether you're still going to pick it up or not. And guess what? If it is something like Battlefield and it is uh, multiplayer focused, chances are pretty good that your problems are going to be already ironed out by the time you really get into it. Right. That is true. That is true. Uh, So uh, that's everything I got to say on that topic. Do you have anything else? No, not really. Just... Be patient, or just wait a few weeks, and then buy the game later, after a patch or two has been made. That's about all I can say. (sighs) Such a disappointment. Which I think actually leads into our our next topic of discussion, don't you think? It sure does. Yeah, that's a pretty good segue. So when we're going to take a (laughs) quick break... Speaking of segues, we're going to hop right off and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to to start talking about some games that had some lofty expectations thrown our way, but then ended up not meeting those expectations. Welcome to our feature presentation. Er, ooh, wait. Main topic. Nailed it. All right. So, as we mentioned at the end of our last segment, uh... We were going to discuss lofty expectations. So this is, you know, discussing games that uh, we had high hopes for, and they ended up, uh, well, falling short on everything, or mostly everything. Whoa, so, whoa, 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 whoa! What are you talking about? Some of these are, are gems. These are some of these are. Uh, whew. I don't know about you, man, but these matched all of my expectations. <laughs> I think you're lying to me. <laughs> I don't Anyways. think so. I mean, we're talking about Mighty Number no. Nine, the the game of the year. Oh my god, this Kickstarter! So I remember when this first started. Uh, actually, you brought it to my attention. Uh, it was developed, or it was uh, the mastermind behind Mega Man. So you got Kiji Kiji Inafune left Capcom, went to Kickstarter with his ragtag team, and uh, <laughs> they concept. were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Had to remember that name. And they were going to pretty much work off our nostalgia and make a Mega Man uh, successor. But it wasn't a Mega no. Man successor, was it? <laughs> no, it was a very bogged down, disappointing pile of trash. And we all supported it, unfortunately. They've made off with like 
what was it, just under $4 million? Yeah, they, they got 3.9 from Kickstarter, but then uh, they set up a PayPal and managed to raise up just underneath 4 mil, or just over, sorry, my bad. Yeah, but still, <clears throat> $4 I mean, million. Like, $4 million to make a very mediocre platformer. It's like you wonder, where did all that money go? So, but. You, you know, my favorite game mechanic from Mega Man was it, it was definitely dashing through endless streams of enemies <laughs> and and completely negating the need to actually kill my enemies. Yeah, you just absorb them and their soul. <laughs> but uh, but you, yeah. you know what absorbed my soul, Jamie? What? Fable. Oh, Peter Molyneux, eh? The yeah. man of many promises... But you kept like two of the hundred. So what we have here is is a title where uh, the the lead designer of the game overall uh, promised to the media, it's like, hey, we're gonna have living, breathing ecosystems. We're gonna have trees that grow. We're gonna have vegetation that dies. <laughs> we're gonna have a we're gonna have a world that bends and morphs around you, depending on your actions. That's right. And then what we got was a static world that didn't react to shit, was very... <laughs> linear. Very linear. <laughs> and the only decision that made a difference at all was at the very, very end. Yes. So, you know, it, you, had, you had this one entity, and he just promised the sky and the moon, and then delivered uh, a, a bowl of mashed potatoes. But overall, the, the game itself was actually pretty decent. Um, which yeah. is actually an oddity when it comes to these uh, to these games that have to match up to lofty expectations. That is true. I did actually enjoy playing it, but it, it was very short. Yeah, but you know what didn't live up to expect. You know what actually was not that great of a game and What's failed that? to live up to its expectations. Tell me more. It's a little tiny game. It takes place in this little area. It's called No Man's Sky. Oh, the game that no man's playing? That's right. Oh my goodness. Yep. Yes, that game. So the, the, the problem that you had here was that you had uh, you had a, a team of people, very experienced people, trying something, what I guess they thought was new, was a new concept. But the, pro the problem is they were banking on the idea of this procedurally generated content being the fun. They, they, they banked on, you know, the, the idea of jumping into your spaceship, going to a new world, and exploring the contents of it was the fun part. But right. the uh, fun it, it is, a, is a goal. Fun is uh, something, I don't know, to do. <laughs> Which is desperately what, thing, what something like No Man's Sky lacks. But what you might notice is that things that bank on procedurally generated content aren't usually fun games to play, but they are interesting spectacles for, you know, a couple hours. Just kind of like browsing some fine art. Right. But what wasn't fine art... <laughs> um, now, there's this little game called Daikatana... Uh, oh made, yes, made by this little known this little known dude. He, he, you'd probably never heard of him. It's called John Romero, um, and and if I recall correctly, he set out to make some people his bitch. Is, is that correct? That's right. I remember reading it in like the old school Electronic Gaming Monthly magazine. It was always on the inside covers too. It always said Dakatana is going to make you its bitch. Well, more specifically, that John Romero is going right. to make you his bitch. Right. 
Yep. And uh, it comes out, and uh, subsequently nobody is John Romero's bitch. He made himself his own bitch. And because you, you have this game that, uh, that that promised to be like the next big revolution in first-person shooter gaming. Uh, from right. the from the creator of uh, from the creator of Doom and the concept of deathmatch, and what came out was this weird sloppy ass game that uh, really didn't amount to anything. Um, just a <laughs> and weird, I never played it. Just just a weird smirch on yeah. on on everybody's record involved, although still enjoyed in, in little gaming circles because underneath all the weirdness. There's actually the resemblance of a decent idea there. Yeah. But man, you gotta try real hard. <laughs> Just poor execution on all parts, right? That's right. Now, however, uh, uh, Watch Dogs uh, is a product <laughs> that had nothing, had no redeeming quality to it whatsoever. Unfortunately, yeah. We were told we can do great things, hack into these lights, make this whole environment dynamic. When you know you're being chased by the cops or whatever, you're in a jam or something, and nope, all it was was like a few functions. You can take money from somebody's bank account if you want, or raise a forklift and uh, raise those um, what do you call those poles that come up out of the street so that you can't drive into like say back alleys and stuff. Like that, that's about all you can do. It was fantastic. And it just became like a open world, done to death, um, Bowl GTA. Of potatoes. Yeah, exactly. It was just like a really, it was just a clone of GTA or Sleeping Dogs. You know, it just went into that category. It lost its niche, it lost its gimmick very quickly. And yeah. Now, now, Sleeping Dogs is an interesting one because that's actually kind of the reverse of what we're yeah, talking exactly. about here. It, it came out to no expectations. I don't think anybody expected anything out of this game. But what people got and what people saw was something that was... It was like a hidden gem. That's you know, right. Not everyone knows about Sleeping Dogs, but then the people that do appreciate it. They love it. And uh, when news broke out that UFG shut down a couple weeks ago... Um, the only thing that they were talking about was how sad that they were that there was that Sleeping Dogs, the developers behind Sleeping Dogs, are now canned. You yeah. know, they didn't. They weren't talking about the, the, the Disney stuff. They weren't talking about anything else that that company did. It was all Sleeping Dogs. I that's think right. that's incredible. That's how you I know. Go. Just <laughs> man, that came out. Of, that, that came out of nowhere and <laughs> blew everyone out of the water. <laughs> I guess you can say it was a sleeping hit. Oh. oh yeah. <laughs> Stop. Uh, I'm going to die. <laughs> Alone. Now, however, to, to, to bring it right back over again, uh, there is some... Uh, <laughs> um, I'm just, uh, there's no way to go into it. It's just Order 1886. Oh, yes, that game. We were... Well, I was very excited for that game. I waited like two years for that game. That was the game... If there was nothing on the PS4 that I liked, that was the system seller for me. That game came out completely underwhelming. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. But, you know, that one's a weird one, because I'm pretty sure that the game that we got is not the game that they advertised. And and I do mean that literally. I'm pretty sure what they showed us 
was a different project than what we got in the end. Well, they made it seem like we were going to fight off like a lot of like lichens or you know other mystical creatures, but instead all we did was fight people behind chest high walls, and you had two QTE battles with two separate lichens. That is it. The final boss is a lichen, and it's QTEs, and the game just ends on like a cliffhanger note. That's all that happens. Otherwise, you're just going from like linear area to linear area with chest high walls. That's all it was. It was very bland, and I was very heartbroken. I, I, I'm actually quite happy that I foresaw this project going the way it did, and I, and I actually ended up avoiding it, and I haven't regretted it. But man, that that thing had a ton of potential. That the art was fantastic. It it looked so polished and slick. Well, and yeah. It, I mean, like you look at the you look at the cinematic trailers, right? And you're like, holy crap! Oh, the, the PS4 weapons, can the chug weapons, that out. They were so creative. They they looked so awesome. They did. It's ye old England in an alternate universe. It was awesome. I swear, there's like elements of steampunk in there, and I like that idea. And like I said, like it felt like. You know, we weren't told a lot about the game, but it felt like you can get like a squad, you can get a group of people, and you can go out there and just destroy these creatures. And no, it was a single player experience only, and six hours, five hours, and that was it. Yeah, it, it actually kind of reminds me um, of Killzone 2. Like, the, and what I mean by that is that the trailer that we were shown was uh, for a project that was supposed, it was kind of like a previs, right? Like, yeah. this is something that someone crafted to. To look like an end game, but it's just a video production uh, to give the developer something to strive towards, right? This is what we right. want the game to look like, to feel like, etc. And I feel that's what happened with Order 1886. Now, Killzone 2 actually ended up being a pretty okay game, but Order, a very different story. Mm-hmm. It saddened me, because that's like, I'm never usually stoked for a lot of games, but this one I really was, because it was a new IP, PS4 exclusive. It was going to be a system seller, and it turned out it was very disappointing. Not even a bowl of mashed potatoes. No, it was like a third. It wasn't even a full serving. Uh, I was left very empty and hungry. Um, I, I was also very uh, left very, very hungry at the concept of what we got in the end for Sonic 06. Oh my god, Sonic 06. That game... It's a travesty. A, a, a game where you had... It, it was due from the get-go, because you, you had the company split the team into two, and then also have the regular development cycle of two years down to one. And what, what you got was 25% of the normal resources that went into a normal Sonic game, which weren't doing very hot anyways. And, and now you, you were given 25% of what was normally there, and boy... Does, does it feel like a 25% complete game? That That is oh my God. for damn sure. Yes, it does. And I'm a huge Sonic the Hedgehog fan, and I was really excited to play Sonic 06, because we would play the demo of Kingdom Valley, and we were competing for the best time. I think the best time was like 47 seconds by me, but we were like fraction of a second better than our previous one, because we get competitive over everything. And to play the the full game, and just phasing through the floor, and that first ring challenge (laughs) pissed me off. And it was just load screens. Like, it was 
Sonic the Hedgehog 2006 You're Too Slow Edition because there was always load times and then two scenes of dialogue and then load times and then you die and there's load times and it's just oh I hate this game so much yeah it was basically load time featuring Sonic the Hedgehog because <laughs> a grand majority of the game you're all you're doing is watching loading screens that's and, right and, and boring loading screens at that that's right can't even it be entertained can't even be entertained by the loading screen but you know, you know what really wasn't very entertaining at all, although it probably could have been and should have been where it done right, um, was Red Steel. Oh, Red Steel, yes. The one-to-one sword fighting game with now, the Wiimote, and now, all we got were gesture controls. Now, here's the interesting thing about Red Steel, is I'm pretty sure we're the first ones to talk about it in, like, what, ten years? <laughs> oh, my God. You know, yeah, I think Red Steel was kind of just like swept under the rug, and then the sequel came out, and then, you know, I think that did okay too. But yeah, and and, and Red Steel was was really the first one to demonstrate the weaknesses of the Wii mode. That's right, because it was a motion control, like we, we thought it was, like the way that they promoted it as to be. Because you know, you got your game running, and you got this actor, you know, going one to one with the TV, and we think, hey, that's what it's going to be like. And nope. we were wrong. Nope. Uh, that reality shatters hard. Because what you ended up having was that uh, you, you would swing the Wiimote and it would basically... It, it would register you did one thing and it would just do that action on the screen. It, it was gestures. And the gestures just equated to nothing but fanciful button pressing. That's right. And it just... I don't know, man. It just didn't work. It just, it just wasn't working. It didn't resonate with anybody either. But... <laughs> You know, but at least they got an A for effort. But it, it's always going to be that project that demonstrates a, a gimmick, right? Because like that's, th- that's what also happened with Layer. Um, you, you have this project that uh, that a, the company for a uh, launch title of a, of a console uh, has a new gimmick to show off, and it doesn't matter how good the project was going to be before. Now you're shoehorned into demonstrating this thing. And that thing ends up not being very good. Your project's screwed, and then your company shuts down. That's right. Oh, the six axis. Why are you so useless? It's it's difficult to. No, maybe not difficult, but it's it's weird to say that uh, that basing a game on a gimmick controller <laughs> shut your company down. <laughs> <laughs> It's so horrible because all those people lost their jobs because they were forced to work with the gimmick. Yeah, yeah. It, it, like, it, it, I, you know, Layer was not supposed to be like that, but it was. You know, you, you have this, you have this controller that's, you know, it, it's okay. It might be debatably a little bit more precise than the Wiimote, but at least it was tracking your motions. But right. it was very, very imprecise, right? No matter what you did with the damn thing, you can't get precision. And when nope. your game is based on precision and steering, you're doomed. That's you're just right. you're straight up doomed. <laughs> oh man! So, in the long run, what we've gone through here is is a small helping of of games over the years. You know, way back when to modern age, of failed expectations, just absolutely shattered expectations, and and not in the good way. Mm-hmm. 
um, we were we were risen up only to be let down by these by these things. But the thing is, like these projects, you know, what else could they have done? I think maybe if they weren't so overly ambitious. Well, I mean that's the thing, though, right? Some of them were overly ambitious. Some of them were trying out new ideas and didn't work out, and they may have improved them in later installments. But I don't know. What are your thoughts? Like, are they all linked together? I think that some of them are, but some of them are in different categories. Well, I mean, that—that's. I mean, that's that's partially the reason we have this this particularly crafted list is that this demonstrates very well that there is no single thing that connects all of them, aside from you know the idea of raising raising the audience up only to let them down. Whether in I, 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 no company sets out to intentionally disappoint people, but it just ends up being that way, right? Yeah. Um, like, uh, like with Mighty Number no. Nine, you know they went in with good intentions. It's just unfortunately those good intentions weren't realized. That's uh, right. It, it, the fable, you just had a, you had a blabbermouth for a guy in the media, and uh, and, and brought everyone up, and, and didn't deliver the product that he was talking about, right? And, and with No Man's Sky, you had care, you had carefully crafted trailers and presentation, and what we got was not quite that, you know. Um, but it, but then in the case of Daikatana, it was just a dude trying to do something cool and awesome and new, but it wasn't tied to any gimmicks. He wasn't tied to this, that, and the other thing. He was just he was a product of his own uh, messy, messy game design flaws. Yeah. So like, like, what can you do? Like, you can't, you can't be skeptical your whole life. You can't take a look at every new idea and think, well, shit, this is this is guilty until proven innocent, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I don't want to live that. Do you want to live that way? I unfortunately have to live that way because here's the thing, right? With Companies and franchises that I know that work, right? I'm just going to compare, like, say, Assassin's Creed to Order 1886. With Assassin's Creed, I've been playing that series and franchise since, like, the second one, right? So, playing the couple few, or the few games I wrote at that time, I really liked them, and they all kind of played the same, right? They weren't deviating from the formula. And I put faith in that franchise, because when the next installment was coming out, I know what I'm getting myself into, Whereas, Order 1886, I saw a trailer, and there were cinematics. I saw one gameplay trailer, I saw what I thought was interesting, and I lived in the hype of that. And when I got the game, it was underwhelming, right? And when it comes to like these developers that I don't know much of, I'm going to remain skeptical because to me, their ideas are new. To them, their ideas are new. But... Like, Assassin's Creed, I mean, that series wasn't perfect either. I mean, Unity came out. I was super excited for this franchise, I know, which is going in the right direction after 4. And it came out as an underwhelming glitch fest, Mm -hmm. right? And they tried out new ideas. They changed a lot of the formula around, and I wasn't comfortable with it until they redeemed themselves a syndicate a year later. But for me, I I buy a lot of games, right? And I, I love new original ideas. But some games I'm skeptical of, like No Man's Sky, I skipped that game because I avoided the hype train. 
I watched whatever I could of it, and then when the reviews came out and I actually looked at more of the gameplay, yeah, I looked at it and said, you know, this is pretty mundane for me. Like, it's a good thing I didn't invest 80 bucks to figure this out myself. But skepticalism is what I have to live with because, you know, I play, like, any, any new idea, and I'm always, it's always a hit or miss with me. Some games, I'm glad I take the dive for, and others... I kind of regret it, but it's a learning experience, right? So I'm going to throw a title out there, and you tell me if you liked, uh, if if you enjoyed the dive, um, Elite Beat Agents. Yes, I love that dive, and you're the one who actually introduced me to that game. And the thing is, like, I liked, I like music games, and with you though, because you bought invested into it, you let me play it off of your DS. So that's how I got into it, right? That's like, right. Word you, of mouth you got a you. chance to you got a chance to exactly. take a taste. Yeah, exactly. I got to play a complete product that you uh, tried out, and you passed it on to me, and then I tried it out, and I loved it, and I went out and bought a copy, mm-hmm. like unboxing day. But um, yeah, I mean, that's like I, I got to play something as opposed to just watching like a trailer of it. And I know we discussed earlier that demos kind of, you know, like companies are losing money on it because people are playing like an incomplete project or something right but well, the, the incomplete project that they're playing uh, likely demonstrates the weaknesses of the title yeah and so therefore uh, changes their mind about buying the product so therefore the demo has been seen as kind of a dead concept especially yeah. especially in today's day and age with all the live streamers and stuff you know there, there's plenty of other ways to see the to see their project without them investing time and resources into a demo yeah. Um, and that's actually what ended up happening with Sonic 06, honestly, with the demo mode there, um, is that uh, you know they, they took a pinpoint precision spot of where the code base was, and they forked it into a different team, and that different team was responsible for polishing up that particular area that the demo showcased. And so what we were playing was absolutely not <laughs> a part of the end product, just something that resembled it. Uh, right. Likely, the that that team wasn't able to get all their fixes in or whatever of all the problems that we witnessed um, into the main thing. But right. th- that's kind of the thing. It's like the demo can mislead. The demo can uh, potentially uh, demonstrate a uh, a flaw or a weakness that the developers can't fix in time. You know, it, it unfortunately the demo scene has really come under fire for how much good yet damage it's been doing over the years as part of the industry but it it does come down to um, personal choice it does come down to uh, to taking that risk taking that plunge right Right. like uh, if I if I didn't take the risk on this weird little offshoot game called Phoenix right I never would have uh, I I never would have um, man that is not a game that I would have looked at normally and said you know what I need to play that game <laughs> True. You got me into that game with that same idea. You, I remember that. You right. got me into the first case, and I was like, "Dude, I like this game." Went out and bought the three games at the time. Yeah, but, but I, th- I think at the same time, it's uh, it's it, these two games. I didn't have any expectations for. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, what I've had to do over the years of, is I've just kind of had to not not allow myself to get overtaken by the hype train. I've, I've had to I've had to force myself to stay on the sidelines and just kind of on look as a third party and be yeah. like, you know what? Okay, I, I get what you're doing. I get what you're trying to do. Now prove to me that you can make it work. And once you do, then I'll then I'll jump on board. And that proof can come in so many forms. Yeah, you know, it, it can come from me trying it out, 
all the way to me trying it out. It could come from a, a trailer showcasing a proof of concept. It, it, it can come in so many forms, I just need to see that there is something interesting for me to latch onto, and that okay. the game works, because ultimately, in the end, you can... You can uh, claim that your story is the most important. You can claim that your music is the most important or memorable, whatever. But when it comes down to it, it is the gameplay that matters. That is the thing that you were there to do. Otherwise, you'd be reading a book or watching a movie. That's right. The bread and butter. So, like, in Daikatana's case, the gameplay was mostly broken. In, in No Man's Sky, there was just nothing fun to do. Um, right. it, it, with The Order, it was such a rush project, they forgot to put fun in it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Um, it's true. <laughs> but uh, but Fable is that weird little oddity where it, the the sky was promised and it didn't deliver, but the game itself was still kind of fun to play, right? That's right. So that is proof right there that expectations don't make the game. Failed expectations don't necessarily mean it's a bad project. It just means it didn't deliver everything that it said it was going to be. So, the idea here is to not is to not always be skeptical. It's not always to be uh, even uh, even so jaded that you can't enjoy the games anymore. But it's to manage your expectations, and it really it does come to a two way street. Um, the the company should also be helping manage those expectations, and as a consumer, one shouldn't get so hype that your expectations outweigh what they are promising you, right? Yeah. Through that, through that. But um, I, I think that I think that's pretty much it. Um, it uh, to anybody listening, if you have any, uh, if you have anything further to add to the conversation, we are very interested in hearing your opinion on the subject. Tell us, what do you think? What was a game that you were so hyped for, that, that or that someone made you so hyped for and didn't live up to it? What was the biggest disappointment in gaming? You know what, I'm actually going to say this, because I forgot to put this in the list. My biggest disappointment in gaming was <laughs> Devil May Cry 2. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was up with the Two-Face stuff, man. Why is what? it flipping a coin all the time? What was up with everything? Yeah, turn but, up everything in that game. But nonetheless, send us your send us your comments and uh, send it to um, send it to I'll, I'll put a link in the description about where you can send it to. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we don't really have a platform with which to do any communication quite yet, but we'll figure that out. Um, but it'll probably be through email. And even as such, just send it to us. Send it to our email and we will read it on the next episode. We will... We will respond to your responses, um, no matter when we get them. But wh- what was the game that disappointed you? What was a game that was risen up and ultimately lifted the carpet from underneath your feet? Let us know. But I think I think that wraps it up. I think that's all we have time for. Uh, Jamie, do you have any further comments? Um, no, not really. Um, my worst game, I would say, is Mega Man X7 right now. Because I love the X series and Mega Man X7 totally killed it for me I, I think by the time it got to X7 it was already long in the teeth yeah. if you ask me <laughs> after X4 it was pretty dead but hey X8 made it up to me I love that game fair enough <laughs> yep alright well um, I, I, I guess that's about it thank you for uh, tuning in to our very first episode and uh, we'll, we shall see you next time yeah that was really fun I hope that we get to do more of these Thanks for listening to us.